When you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Sorry, Delamont with you. How are y'all doing? I hope you're hanging in there as we get through January. Not get through. What am I saying? We're thriving. Are we not? It's 2021. We are, we are doing this. We are taking control. We are claiming our amazingness. At least that's what I hope for you in 2021. All right. So let's talk today about how or why jurors take action. You know, I heard a quote once that said, every action we take either comes from a place of love or fear. And love and fear are both very, very motivating. And what I want to talk to you about in today's podcast is why we should move toward a love focus with jurors versus a fear focus. Now, if you've been following me for a while or you've been, you know, following what's going on out there in trial advocacy, you know that the big push, at least in the last 10, 15 years, is to scare jurors or come from that fear place. Now, what I mean by that is that it's the the entire appeal to the jurors' reptile brain and to see how we can show jurors that you know, if they don't take action for the client, for our side, that this too could happen to them and their families, right? And and so they're half right. And I think there's a lot of great stuff in the reptile movement and the reptile content. However, the side that they're coming from is fear. And when you come from fear, meaning that's the motivator that you're hoping to use to get jurors to take action for you in your case, that's a two-edged sword, right? Because the minute that we start to scare jurors into taking action, jurors also start to really look at how can I keep myself safe, right? So then comes in the whole defensive attribution piece where if I'm scared that this could happen to me and my family, well, I'm going to be looking at all of the steps that the plaintiff took here to not keep themselves safe. And I wouldn't have done that. And I would have done that differently. And I would have taken this differently, right? It's all about self-preservation. So we have to keep in mind that if we are going to scare jurors or use fear as the motivator to have them take action, that it is a double-edged sword, right? Once you scare someone, their immediate response, their biological response is to protect themselves. And that tends to push them more towards the side of defensive attribution. Now, if you think about the from hostage to hero method, we've got the four steps, right? The first step is to create safety for jurors so that they can get out of their fight or fight place, remain calm and listen to what is happening, right? And, and make a decision that they kind of want to stay and, and maybe hear a little bit more. Once we've created that safety, then we invite them to engage with us and the material and each other. Once they're engaged with the material, they get a little bit more interested in what this case is about. Then we move them to commitment phase, which is the opening, right? So now they have the details, they have enough information that they can commit. And we know that most jurors do commit to one side or another at the end of opening. 
And then finally, at the end of trial, we, we want them to take action. So action is the ultimate goal, is it not? We want to move jurors to action. We want them to do something, at least it's as civil plaintiff attorneys, right? Maybe as criminal defense attorneys, we don't want them to take action. But as civil plaintiff attorneys, the burden of proof is on us and we've got to move jurors to action. So I understand the push to try to find what motivates jurors. And so again, in today's podcast, what I want to be really clear about is there's really only two motivators. All the motivators that you can think about in terms of human behavior fall into one of these two buckets. It's either fear as a motivation or love as a motivation. And here's why I'm going to suggest that we as plaintiff attorneys rally for the side of love. First off, that fear place pushes us into fight or flight, right? When we are scared or the jurors are scared, we are now in our survival place. And by the way, you cannot scare jurors or use fear as a motivator without being in fear yourself. I actually think this is why that particular method has been so popular is because y'all are scared anyway. You're scared of the jurors. You're scared of the process. You're scared of losing money. I mean, that's what my book is all about is that you guys are hostages as well. You are stuck in fear yourself. So when a method comes along and says, well, let's scare the jurors too, it just makes total fucking sense to go, well, hell yeah, let's all be in fear. Mm. I'm going to suggest that's not exactly what we want to be doing. And I'm talking in broad terms here. Please don't email me and say, that's not what the reptile message about, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking metaphorically here. There, again, is a lot of great, great stuff. David Ball is a friend of mine, and I'm not disparaging that method. What I am saying is that we may have, or I believe we have, a better motivator. And here's why. When we're in fear, us and the jurors, we go into our fight or flight response, right? So we go into survival mode. Now, in terms of leadership, which is what we're talking about in the H2H membership this month, the H2H crew, I should say, is what we're calling it. We're talking all about courtroom leadership. When we talk about leadership, what you have to remember is when you are in fight or flight, you communicate that you are in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, the only person you are looking out for is yourself. Now I ask you, will someone follow you if you're only looking out for yourself? I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't follow a leader who I felt was just looking out for his own ass. That is not the saying, looking out for their own ass. Covering their own ass, there's something. I, I just might, I know y'all love it when I miss the, mix those up. Anyways, right? We're not going to follow someone who is only looking out for themselves. That's the point, right? And what talks about leadership. In terms of jurors, we don't want jurors in fight or flight either. Why? When jurors go into their survival place, they are literally not breathing well. They have activated their sympathetic nervous system. They can't hear you or anything else. They're just going to make a decision that gets them out of there the quickest. And as we've been discussing through this whole podcast series, that is never good for you as the plaintiff attorney. So fight or flight or the fear-based response is not uh, sustainable. It's not something that can get us through the trial process, which, which is tiring for both you and the jurors. And here's the other thing about fear is that as much as we hate feeling it, in fact, because we hate feeling it so much, we get desensitized to it pretty quickly. 
You can ask my husband and all the horror movies that he watches. This is nothing to him. Where to me, I have nightmares forever if I watch that stuff. But we get desensitized to the fear response, right? So the more we push that, the more jurors are like, eh, this isn't going to happen to me. No big fucking deal, right? This is also something that we have to be thinking about when we think about the fear response. I'm going to suggest that the love response is the one that we want to use to get jurors to take action. Why? You know, there, there's a, um, a visual that I use in, in the uh, H2H crew when I'm teaching, particularly when I was teaching on resonant conversations and levels of listening in the, in the last quarter last year. And it's, a, it's a, a series of circles. And on the outside circle is behavior, right? Or, I'm sorry, appearance. So that's the first thing that we notice about someone, right? And we can start making judgments about them, good or bad. The next one is behavior. You know, what do they do? How do they act? The next one is style, right? So based on what we're noticing, we'll notice patterns or maybe they swear a lot or whatever. Now we know the person's style. As we get to know them better and better, we now get to values and eventually we get to the core of who they are. That's that middle piece, that, that center of the circle. Now, the closer we get to the core of who someone is and what they care about, and the more that we can connect that to our case themes and our plaintiff and what our trial is about, our case is about, the more we have a motivator for jurors. It's not just about scaring them. It's not about scaring them at all. Yes, even in my method, we talk about spreading the tentacles of danger to show how dangerous something is. But here's what I want you to get, is that we can motivate jurors to act from love based on fear. Here's what I mean, is that when they are coming from a place of love, they want to fix this thing, this fearful thing, so that it doesn't hurt anybody else, right? Including themselves. Meaning the door that we're going to walk them through, very similar to when I say, you know, we're not there to, to find our badgers and kick them off in my method. In my method, do we find badgers and kick them off? Hell yeah. But that's not the focus. Same thing here. Do we want to show jurors how dangerous something is and have them be aware of that danger and how it could affect their family? Yes. But what's going to motivate their behavior and take them to action is love. Because the closer we get to who they are as people, the more they care. Look, I get it. We did have it wrong. Maybe not have it wrong, but it, didn't, it stopped working when we used to play off how they should feel sympathetic to the plaintiff. You've heard me say it a million times how Rick Friedman says, you know, we used to look at the plaintiff and say, there but by the grace of God go I. We now look at the defendant and say, there but by the grace of God go I, meaning I could be sued for any little thing, right? Not that that's what we're suing for, but that's what jurors think. And so we cannot play on the jurors' sympathies when it comes to plaintiff. But what we can do is show the jurors, first of all, not just show the jurors, first of all, find out what jurors care about and then link that to our case themes. Because if jurors start to, to see, not just this could hurt me too, which is fleeting and surfacy and does not always get the job done, when we can connect to who they are and what they love and what matters to them, to our case, now we have a much 
stronger bond. It really comes down to, to that podcast episode of mine called What's Fueling You, right? So when we think about what the things we want, uh, for example, big verdicts or big wins or lots of money, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's what's fueling those things that I'm concerned about as a coach. If you want big verdicts or lots of money because you want to prove to yourself or others how good you are and it's because you're, you're so saboteur ridden and you can't get out of your own head, that's not good fuel, right? That's that fuel that, that's not going to sustain you. But if you want big verdicts and lots of money because that's going to help you really show up and, and live into your greatness and do great things and help a lot of people, that's sustainable fuel. And that's what I'm talking about here when we talk about how to motivate a juror's behavior. Can we motivate them to take action from fear? Sure. Fear absolutely motivates. My question is, do we want to? And I'm going to suggest no for a couple reasons. One, I think it's much more fun for you and the jurors when you come from a place of meaning and love. I know it is for the H2H crew. As they start to let go of some of these techniques they've learned and start to really connect and have resonant conversations and learn about the jurors and let go of their shit and be vulnerable, the number one thing that I get back from the H2H crew is trial is fun again. Listen, I'm all about helping you in trial, but you know what I'm more about? Changing this whole fucking experience. I want trial to mean something to you, to, to the jurors, to the world. I don't want it to be, let's use whatever fucking technique we can just to win this thing. It's empty and it's fleeting and it's something that you can't count on anyway. What if we had actual human connections with our clients, with each other, and with the jurors for sure? And, I'll, and you know the bonus is when you have those actual connections and you get into those resonant conversations, the jurors show up for you because now they recognize this is something meaningful. It's not just something scary. It's something meaningful. I'm going to continue to push for love over fear forever for your sake and for the jury's sakes and definitely for your client's sake. Let's change the environment. Now, you might be saying, well, sorry, I mean, you say that we're there to fight, not win. I mean, is, is it fighting negative? No, not when you fight from a place of love. Think about people who fight for their country, who fight to, to, for their independence. That's not coming from a fear place. That's coming from a place of pride and love. We can fight from a place of love. We don't have to fight from a place of fear. And so many of you have been fighting from a place of fear. That's why you're depleted. That's why you are, are, are losing your will not to live, I hope, but to, to keep trying cases. You're tired. I get it. Coming from fear is depleting. And you say, well, Okay, well then, but what about the social science that says, you know, people are more motivated by loss or gain? That's one reason we want to scare jurors. Look, we can still use the motive of loss. Loss of what? Loss of something they love. Again, it always comes back to love. When we can frame everything in, in terms of love, we don't, this thing is very dangerous, scary, and we don't want that in our communities because we love our communities and our families. This person lost this thing, loss, and that was hurtful and harmful because they loved this thing or this person. Do you see? It's not throwing away the reptile method or throwing away showing jurors how scary things are. 
It's about bringing love into the process and recognizing that that is the overarching motivator of behavior. It's sustainable for you, for your clients, and for jurors. Let's change this experience. Let's come from a place of love. We can do this. I'm in this to change the world. You've heard me say that before. I had H2H crew members say, when you said that before, I thought you were overreaching, but man, after seeing H2H crew, I believe you. (laughs) Well, you don't have to believe me, but I'm in it to win it. And uh, I hope you join me. Until next time. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to fromhostagetohero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.